1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey everyone, stay tuned to the end of the interview where, as usual, I will give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. All of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening thanks for the great ratings and reviews, thanks for the emails, thanks for the retweets, thanks for the shares, just thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Betsy Graciani fassbender an author, writing coach, speaker, and public speaking trainer. Betsy started out as a teacher and then became a therapist and is now a published author and public speaking trainer. The common thread she sees behind her various forays is storytelling. Whether it's trying to get your kid to do a chore or explaining your company's latest gadget, storytelling needs to be at the core of your communications. While Betsy's latest book is about public speaking for authors, public speaking did not come naturally to her. In this episode, she shares that she actually had a phobia of public speaking and would get physically ill (laughs) Wow! before having to speak. When she started writing and publishing books, she realized she would have to acquire some skills in speaking in order to better promote herself and her work. She shares the skills and strategies she learned in her book from page to stage, inspiration, tools, and public speaking tips for writers. She shares some of these insights in this episode. Now, let's get better together. Betsy Graciani fossbinder welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me,
1: Jari. You are quite welcome. It was really cool we got to know each other because I did a little class for Brooke, who's our uh, Brooke Warner, who's both our men- mentor, memoir coaches, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. She's a little bit of both to me because she's been you really great. She's to- publisher. Oh, yes. She writes press. That's right. There's Brooke does a lot of things. Yes, she <laughs> she's great. And
2: all of them. Well, doggone it. It's, it, it'd be really easy to hate her, but <laughs> I don't, because be smart and accomplished and a good human being and all kinds of wonderful things. And, uh, you know, it'd be easy to hate or be jealous of somebody, but she's also such a lovely person that
1: you can definitely is. She definitely is. And it was really cool because I met her through Grant Faulkner who who's the Executive director of NanoRimo and I'm a big NanoRimo fan and I contribute to their Young Writers program. And when I was looking for a coach to help me with my memoir about Jane and I during during her leukemia um, battle, he's just like, Oh, yeah, you gotta talk to Brooke. Brooke this is what Brooke does. This is just her thing. <laughs> so it was really cool to, to meet you and meet actually a lot of the, the the she writes authors on this little webinar I did about how to pitch herself to media, which I said, hey, pitch me and see what happens. And lo and behold, <laughs> everyone pitched me. A lot of people did, including yeah. you. And so it was really cool.
2: Well, now let's clarify that you asked for kind of mock pitches so we could learn how to write a pitch. Only some of us wrote it in such a way that we ended up getting the mock part. and to I know. The pitch. Part.
1: I know. You never know. That's, the, that's yeah. the rule. You never know when it's live or is it Memorex back in the day. <laughs> 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 so, um, before we talk about all the cool things you're doing um, and lots of the different things you do, including writing books and whatnot, um, first before we do that, why don't you uh, let us know how you got to do what you're doing today?
2: You know, it's funny because when I give my resume, I always get a little bit nervous that people are going to think that I just have professional ADD, like I do a hundred things. But when I really boil it down they all come down to storytelling. I started as a teacher. I transitioned and I became a therapist almost 30 years ago. So I've been a licensed therapist for a very long time. I write novels and memoirs and how-to kinds of books. So I'm a thrice published, soon to be quadruple published author. I do writing coaching to help other people write their stories. And I teach public speaking And I help people to tell their stories. And when you look at all that, you think, oh my gosh, what do you, you know, but it's all about storytelling. It's all about either telling or helping other people tell their stories. And it's telling their personal stories or their written stories or their intimate stories in their family or their professional stories. You know, what, what the meaning of their business is, or what the work is that they do. So it's all about transitioning. Instead of having people just talk about stuff, I have them tell stories about stuff. I have them communicate uh, instead of just saying, This is what happened to me. I have them tell it in a story so that people can remember it and gravitate toward it. I just, I'm such a believer in the power of storytelling in its every iteration. You know, whether you're writing an op ed or you're writing ad copy or you're trying to get uh, donors to your startup company. Or you're trying to tell people a new feature on the cool new new widget that you just made. Or you're trying to tell the story of heartbreak to your loved ones so that you can save your marriage. Those are all different kinds of stories. And that's what I do.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm 100% with you. I mean, what I do in my day job is I help tech startups tell better stories. And they (laughs) always need a lot of help on that because they are always... Feature, 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 cool new gadget, cool new gadget. I'm like, no one cares. Tell us your story about why I should care.
2: Exactly, exactly. Always interesting. Well, the techniques that I teach people in public speaking are about that. You know, people, if you're really up close and personal to the the thing that you've been building for five years or 10 years or a lifetime or whatever, all you want to do is talk about the cool little thing that it does. And if I don't care about the thing that it does, then I don't care about that detail of how you made it do that. But if you suddenly make it important to me because either your story amuses me or confuses me or excites me or intrigues me or worries me or upsets me, as soon as you've got people hooked in on an emotional level, then they'll care about that little widget. Then they'll care what that widget can do for them.
1: Yeah. But totally beyond agree. that, they
2: don't. It's Maya Angelou said, People don't remember what you say and people don't remember what you do. They remember how you made them feel.
1: 100%. 100%. That's and I think so that's true. Is
2: true if you're selling a new software or an app as if you're working as an activist trying to prevent gun violence. Hmm. Hmm. The same yeah. is
1: true. I agree. I agree. There's a lot of – like, so it's, it's fascinating because, you know, you think, okay, author – what What do they have to do with entrepreneurship? and And I get this question all the time because um I was actually on Joanna Penn's show, and any of you that know who Joanna Penn is, you know she's this great, successful author, and she always talks about being an authorpreneur because of these same exact things you're talking about. So if you are writing a book, you're writing a memoir, you're writing a how to, you are building a little entrepreneurial business and you're trying to get people to read your book. You're trying to get people to like use your method or whatever. And a lot of it is how convincing is your story that they actually need this, particularly because of all the noise in the world. I saw this one statistic. It was kind of fascinating. It was about marketing automation software. And in 2011, there happened to be about 100 marketing automation tools, which for anyone knows about marketing automation tools, just like, you know, how to get the word out and things like HubSpot, etc. And by 2019, there was 7,800 different tools for marketing automation and marketing automation, reach out, like meaning getting the word out. So you're like, wow, that's either none of them work, which could be true, or there's like something missing in the world. Like what's the gap. And I really think it's to your point, And I'm, I'm glad you, you brought this up because everyone's story no matter what you're trying to I mean, where, but anything you're trying to convince someone, you're going to convince them through a story, no matter what it is. And that's right. just such a powerful and simple thought. And I'm curious, what, how did you come to that conclusion? Because I talk to a lot of people and they're still like, I, I have a hard time convincing them. I don't know why. It's like, you mean you don't like Star Wars? Or what You know, like that's a story, you know, like, so what have you found is like, what, what tipped you over the edge? What was it for you?
2: Well, you know, I think it's because. Well, I'm I'm going to use kind of a negative example. How many times have you, in one company or another, whether you are an employee or a guest or a contractor or whatever, how many times have you sat in meetings and thinking, "Oh, how long is this going on?" <laughs> you know, and you're 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 planning what you're going to have for dinner or what's going to happen later in the day or wishing that you could be at the gym, whatever. If if that's happening, then the person that's talking, the person that's conveying the information isn't grabbing you. So I always say, yeah, yeah, speak public speaking or being able to be a storyteller as an entrepreneur is important. But even if you're an employee and you're just trying to pitch your boss for a new position, if you have ever interviewed for a job and gotten it convinced a teenager to empty the dishwasher <laughs> your spouse into a different vacation than he or she wanted to go on yep then you're an effective and persuasive storyteller guaranteed yeah yeah if you you know back in the day when you interviewed for jobs I guess people just do <laughs> him, so I'm probably dating myself no but. no
1: there, there's still some of that and then it, what's interesting is there was also another statistic um and it was someone what they did was of course it's all techie right they took a bunch of Y Combinator, which is this really, you know, very top tier accelerator for startups. And I think, I don't know how many they looked at, but they looked at all of these pitches that are on YouTube. So they literally like processed them all to see what was the winning pitch. Like, is there any success metric based on whatever, right? And so they went through all of this and it was really interesting because they found a correlation. And the correlation was the more upbeat and positive the founder was in the pitch, um, the more they got funded, but not necessarily the more successful they were. (laughs) So there was this really weird, like they were convincing these investors, they were telling a better story than someone that may have had a better business. And so the, the takeaway was, yeah, you have to tell your story and it's not necessarily about the company because a lot of them had pivoted. That's another thing. It's like, It's really not the idea you have. It's the thought process on how you came up with the idea and how you present the idea and how you can pitch. And basically,
2: and then also also how you execute it, because it's got to be a real thing, right? If a great person comes to your house and, and sells you on window coverings, because they're so important and his are better than everybody else's. And then you install them and they fall apart in five minutes. That's a different, that's a different kind of a problem. That's an execution problem on, on the business end. Right. But the storytelling thing—what's important about that—and and you mentioned authors. If you've written a book, if you'd have told me ten years ago that by writing a book I was launching myself into a business of promoting books for the rest of my life, I would have thought you were crazy. But the reality is that whether I am doing a book launch at a local bookstore back when we could still do that, and when we can again, perhaps in after Zoom after uh, uh, COVID era if you're in front of an audience at a bookstore, or if you're pitching to an agent to represent your book, or if you're at a barbecue and somebody comes up and says, hey, my cousin said you wrote a book, what's it about? All of a sudden you're on a stage, you're telling the story. So there's two parts of it. There's the writing of the story. And then there's the telling about the story. And those are two completely different skill sets. Just like the making of the widget, if you're an entrepreneur, or the forming of the software, or the whatever it is you've created, that's one skill set. Talking about it is another skill set, and I have to convince business people all the time. I've worked with a lot of technology people, engineers who they think in rams and roms, and, and <laughs> you know. Hey, I'm
1: guilty of that. I'm, I'm I got I got, a, I know, I got an I'm engineering degree. <laughs> you
2: know, you know, I, I work with a lot of engineers and they're detailed people and they're not always, but often introverts. And I always joke with them. I say, well, my my first job with engineers and introverts is to teach them to talk first to somebody else's shoes instead of their own. And then they work up to the knees and then the eyes eventually, <laughs> but you know, you work with exactly. folks and you know, they have to just their capability of creating the thing they've created is only half the story. Then they have to be able to talk about the thing they created. I could write a great book, but I have to tell people, I have to be able to tell the story of the book without reading the whole 350 pages to you. I have to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And my own background, you kind of asked, how did you get into this? I suffered from glossophobia. And what that is, that is a phobia of public speaking. I wasn't just a little bit nervous to public speak. I was phobic. I would literally be, before job interviews, I would be sick all night. I'd have to fake it in the job interview and try to put extra makeup on so I didn't look gray when I got into the room. Wow! The, I, I did everything. I, I became a therapist because I can speak comfortably one-on-one with somebody. Yeah. The idea of standing in front of a sea of people horrified me. But when I knew I wanted to write books, I knew that I wanted to be able to get to be able to talk about writing books. So I started taking courses, taking classes to get better at it. I I just knew it was something I had to overcome. And what I figured out is that what I used to think is that public speaking was a gift that -hmm. some people got and some people didn't. And Mm -hmm. I didn't.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I learned that like so many things, it's just a set of simple skills. It's a set of Simple, I didn't say easy, but simple skills that take some practice to learn, like swinging a bat is a simple skill too, but learning to do it just right. Swinging a golf club, right? Any of the, I don't do either of those things, but I presume that those are skills that one must learn as opposed, and sure, some people come to it more naturally. They have a naturally good swing and other people have to get coaching to get it better. So the same is true with public speaking, that some people come to it more naturally I did not. And some people have to develop some simple skills. And with those simple skills, they also have to have some mental shifts because if they think, Oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up because I'm talking to a group of people. If that's their fear all the time, which was mine. Mm -hmm. And it was a legit fear born of much experience. um, They have to learn that they can overcome that. So now today to this day, I like to say I'm a recovering glossophobic. Mm. And what I also like to say is to this day, I do not do public speaking. Now, I have spoken in front of as many as a thousand people. I've spoken on media. I've spoken in podcasts like this one. I do it all the time. But what I do, if I'm in front of 500 people, I don't speak to 500 people. I have a series of one-on-one conversations with as many people are in the room. I want to talk to one person in that 500. I want to talk to another person. Then I talk to another and I share the love all around. And I try to have a series of one-on-one conversations and make individual connections. And there are techniques to do that with eye contact and body positioning and things that I, that I discuss in the, in my book, but there are ways to break it down for those of us who are a little more introverted. The whole group is scary, but one person Pretty comfortable,
1: right? Yeah. So yeah. You,
2: you just do have a series of one-on-one conversations. So it's a mental shift, but also a technique to learn. So it's us authorpreneurs or entrepreneurs or techpreneurs, whatever you want to say.
1: Anypreneur. To them, what was that? <laughs> any-preneur, anypreneur. Starpreneur. Any panneurs,
2: <laughs> that sounds very French. The Thepreneurs.
1: Yeah. Well, it is. Any of
2: the preneurs need to... Be honest about their skill set. Just because you can make the widget doesn't mean you can talk about the widget well. And even if you're an internal person, let's just say that you're not ever going to be public facing, you might be the person on the team that is advocating for a certain change or a certain marketing plan or a certain feature or whatever it might be. So you have to tell your story internally. Everybody is a public speaker, everybody, even if you're trying to get your teenager to empty the dishwasher.
1: Yeah, it's all about the persuasion, this persuasion of telling a good story. I about mean,
2: telling your story in a compelling way.
1: Yeah, that's true, and too. And
2: customizing it to your listener. How I might have this conversation if I was speaking to nonprofit organizations might be different than if I'm talking to somebody who, who works mostly with entrepreneurs. Right. It might be, I'm going to adapt it. And um, I might speak one way to one of my sons and another way to the other son. I have a neat neck and a slob. Yeah. So <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> that's but the message a message
2: would be the same. The message is empty the dishwasher.
1: Yeah. The way, the way it's, yeah. The way right. it's approached. Well, what are some of the things that people can do to kind of build that muscle? I, I always think of this stuff as a muscle. I mean, the reason I do this show was to I, I'm not very good at, or I don't enjoy as much, networking and talking to people. I'm I'm what's called a highly functional introvert. So for me, I can speak in front of a thousand people, and like it will not bother me. But one-on-one conversations I drain me. I mean, I, I get I get drained in general. P- people like big groups of people. They don't inspire. Like they don't like jazz me up. I like I got to take a nap. <laughs> like when I did the one the training for 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 you guys over at uh, She Writes, it was. Yeah, I had to take a nap after I was just well, that, so,
2: so that that also, that brings us to a misnomer.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of
2: people think that an introvert or I get mistaken for an extrovert because I can well mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in groups, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Introvert and extrovert has nothing to do with how much you talk. Right. Introverts think so that they can talk and extroverts talk so
1: that they can think. Oh, interesting. I never heard it that way before.
2: Introverts, when they're addressing the after, after, My nemesis, a cocktail party, for example, (laughs) like that's my definition of hell. I really hate being in a whole. We just went to a wedding this weekend. There's a lot of people. I don't know. You know, I I find one person and I chat in the corner. That's what I typically do. But when I've done a lot of social things, I get tired. I want to go back to my cave. I don't want to talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. Extroverts get revved up by that. Mm -hmm. They get energized by that. So it's not about how much you talk. It's about where you get your energy. Mm. Where do you revitalize? Do you go to the cave to kind of soothe yourself, rest, rejuvenate so you can come back out? Or do you go out to the party to get kind of jazzed up and then you want to go out for drinks after, and then you want to get a pizza. And then, right. So what kind of person are you? Mm. And I like to tell myself, say, now that I'm an (laughs) omnivert. I still am a natural introvert in that that's where I'm going to get my energy. I spend a lot of time by myself. I like solitary activities, like writing stories, Yep. but I can step out of that and be comfortable in a social gathering. If I need, when I need to, and I can feel a confidence when I need to deliver a
1: message to a group of people. Yeah. Yeah. so, So the
2: first thing I think is assessing your skills, right? Instead of just saying, I don't do that. I don't do public speaking. I hate it. Well, Sorry. That's like saying, I don't like paying my rent. Got to do it. I don't, I don't manage money. Well, well, it's, it's still something you need to learn how to do.
1: Right. Because right. it's going to,
2: it's going to hurt you if you don't.
1: That's so true. So, yeah, I mean, if someone is, you know, first they, ass- okay, so let's just step through this. So first they assess how they are, what what they're like. Now how, how do you build that muscle? How do you build the confidence? And I'm sure it's in your book, which I, I encourage everyone to to buy. But what are just some simple things that people can do? I mean, for me, I started a podcast to practice. It's a lot easier to like talk to people one-on-one over Zoom and to sort of, you know, practice the craft of it. Because it is practice. It's really funny because you're totally right when it comes to like the type of – I had to learn the type of person I was. I didn't know that really people drained me. I sort of did, but I had to learn that. and I would be like, okay, I need to save some energy for later. I need to – disengage from this massive part. Because when Jane was alive, we used to throw all these events and I she dragged me to all these events and I'd help her. And it's just like all these people. And I'm like, this is just not, why am I so exhausted when I get back? And it's, well, because it just wasn't energizing for me. And so I'm just curious if there's some ways that people can like either, how can they find out that that's where they are?
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: how do you like build up this muscle, this public speaking muscle, because it is, it is, you know, you're, you're hundred percent right. Every situation where you're telling a story, you're trying to persuade someone, you're trying to get your opinion across is all is, is varying degrees of quote unquote, public speaking, right. Which public speaking seems to be this huge, massive, oh, I got to go to Toastmasters and all this sort of things where I know, I mean, every situation is different. So curious.
2: Think of, first of all, I'm, I'll am i give you one mental tip to start with. Hmm. That word, public speaking, I'd like to take the, the P of public and make it a lower case.
1: Hmm.
2: Instead of public, like we think massive rallies full of right. strangers, right? Public can be just one person. Public can be three people at a meeting. Public can be a conversation on the way to the car with the guy that didn't make it to the meeting, and he says, oh, what'd you cover? All of a sudden, you're public speaking. And if you have ever convinced one person of anything in your life, you are a public speaker. So it's the first thing is the mind shift. The second thing is you start observing. And what a lot of people do is they compare themselves to some star that they watch a Ted talk and they think, Oh my gosh, I could never do that. Well, that's like, Thinking, you know, I I might like to take up golf and watching only Tiger Woods and think I could never do that. Well, of course, if you pay, if you're comparing yourself to somebody. By the way, a TED talk, a TED talk has been practiced something like 250 times before it's delivered.
1: Yeah, Brooke, Brooke did, has done one. We should yeah. ask her.
2: <laughs> and I actually was part of helping her prep
1: that. Oh, great! Oh, cool. So,
2: so the, but the point is, if you compare your raw material, your I'd like to talk about. The widget that I just made to a finished TED Talk—you'll never measure up. Right. There were 150 steps that got them there, and it's an unfair comparison. You're jipping yourself to to say that you know you're not as good at that. Of course you're not. That's like like reading Hemingway and saying, "Well, I can't write. Forget it. <laughs> Look at that." You know? I mean, it's absurd when you think about it. It is. It is, it is actually. Absurd, and it's right. a really unfair that that inner critic right it's right there built package to go right inside telling you you can't and the reality is if you say wait a minute what is what's the piece of it that i'm pretty good at well you know i've always been pretty comfortable in interviews i i do that pretty well what's the piece of that that i know so learning that learn a book like mine can be helpful too but also you know if it's if it's something if you're going to be an entrepreneur or an author You might need to invest some time into, you know, everyone says you have to have a, you have to have a platform. You've got to have a platform for your book. And they spend all this money with their social media platform and their website and their all of that stuff. Right. And they enter contests and they do do things. And I would say, well, you've spent all this money on your platform, but how about knowing that there's going to have to be somebody that's going to have to stand on the platform. And that's you.
1: Good point. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, if you're going to invest some time and money in your platform, shouldn't you invest some time and money and maybe even some training, so that you can be the best part of that platform? The platform's nothing without you, nothing.
1: Yeah, I think that's you know, also true. if you true have a product
2: me. that sells off of a website and you don't ever have to talk about it, that's fine. But if you want some funding or you want some investors or you know, they're they're still even even if you're in product sales, even if you're the you're the district sales manager for REI, you know, something like that, he's still going to have to talk to his team internally.
1: Or even talk to, you know, even I mean, any sort of sales role is public speaking, little p public speaking in some cases, and you do have to learn how to tell a story and convince someone that, Give you the the best words you can hear anyone say. Oh, oh, tell me more about that. (laughs) Right.
2: Right. Well, that's what you hope for.
1: That's what you hope for.
2: The other thing is to know that public speaking, in addition to not being a gift that some people get and other people don't, it's a set of skills. Right. But it's a set of skills that's a lot more like a musical performance or an athletic performance because you learn it in your body. Hmm. You could learn all of the techniques in your brain. But you have to do them. So it's, it's like if I, if I read 65 books on how to play the piano, but I never touch the keys, mm-hmm. I'm still not going to be able to play an etude. Yes. I have to practice it with my body. And so public speaking is like that. I can give you techniques. The book is there. It's got good suggestions in it. But learn, But practicing it, and we all now have, we have Zoom. You can turn Zoom on with just you and practice with just you. You can record it and watch it back. You have, if you want to record an audio, you have a a smartphone. You can record an audio and listen back to see how it sounds. And I'll give you one takeaway technique that everybody can use to instantly improve their public speaking. You ready? I'm ready. Okay.
1: I'm ready. Go. It's
2: called punctuation. Here's what I mean. Here's how most people talk when they're nervous. Well, I'm really excited because we have this great product. And, you know, if you really sign up for it, I think that you'll really, you know, um, it'll be just great because it'll fit your needs and it gives you this feature and this feature. And after that, it's only 1995, And but we can break it down. That's how lots of people talk. It's right. a chatterbox. Notice how I'm speaking now. I put a period at the end of that sentence and a space and a new thought. So using pauses lets people in to listen. If you speak quickly, I always tell people, I cannot change the rate of your speech. It's dependent on your personality, your ethnic background, the region you grew up in. All of those things influence the rapidity with which you speak. But if you speak quickly, you can't speak continuously, Notice that I just paused for a second to let you absorb that thought. Right. Your listeners get your story, not while you're talking, but in the silences between.
1: Mm, I like that. Yeah, the gaps in between.
2: Think, think of it this way. If you go to a movie
1: mm.
2: and you sit down, you have your popcorn. You're all happy about that. And you're all excited about this movie. And the movie starts. And the two people behind you start narrating the movie for you. Ah, oh,
1: that's horrible. Yeah, that's horrible.
2: That's horrible, right? Why is it horrible?
1: I think because you can't process what you just saw.
2: It's, it's breaking the trance, right? You're, yeah. You're yeah. to watch the movie and they're breaking the trance. The same thing happens when you're speaking. If I put out a really vivid idea and then I talk too fast over it, I'm talking during your movie. Because I'm asking you to have a little mental movie and I'm talking too soon. So you don't get the trance is broken.
1: Mm. Now
2: I just described a movie theater. Did you envision a movie theater when I was talking? Yeah. yeah what yeah. color were the seats?
1: Um, they were leather seats.
2: Did you see popcorn? Uh, oh yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I was. Now, uh, I
2: didn't tell you what color the seats were. No. You visioned that. Right. Why? Because I, when I told you the little story of, so you go to the movie theater and you sit down. Did you envision a couple behind you? Was it a man or a woman or a couple? Or
1: It was a couple. It was an okay. annoying couple. A man
2: and a woman <laughs> couple, right?
1: Yeah, man and a woman couple, yeah.
2: Notice that you ran a movie right. of what I was talking about. And you did that because I paused and let you do that. If you speak too continuously, people can't run the little mental movie and it doesn't stick. They won't remember.
1: Mm. You got to let it sink in.
2: You got to yeah. let some, let it sink in. So sometimes your punctuation is like a period at the end of a sentence. Sometimes it's like a return and a mm-hmm. tab for Carriage a return, oh, <laughs> right? Right. Sometimes it's a page break, like at the end of a chapter. Sometimes it's bullet points. I'm going to cover three things today. One, blah, blah, blah. Two, blah, blah, blah. Three, Blah, blah, blah. I'm giving you the bullet list. You it's like you want your silence is like the white space on a page. And nobody wants to read a brick of words, right? You know, you get that email. It's just a big old brick of black squiggles. You think, oh gosh, I don't have time to read all that right now. But if it's a bullet list, you'll scan through and read it.
1: Mm. Or oh, yeah, we're broken up with headers. And, yeah, up with headers yeah. It's actually a really good analogy. Between
2: the paragraphs. Yeah because it lets you think, oh, I, I'm gonna be able to... The reader or the listener, they need a little park bench in between each idea so they can sit and absorb it a little bit. And whether it's a visual, the white space on the page, or whether it's the silence as you're speaking, that's what get, lets them sit and absorb what you've just said. And you, you wanna give a long pause if you've said something really big or really dramatic or super important or really complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So the takeaway skill there is look at look at a nonfiction book, because not a novel, because it's not gonna have a lot of spaces. Look at a nonfiction book and see how it's laid out and see how you would speak that way. How would your listening ear see that?
1: Yeah, it's really that's really insightful. I like that because that's the one trick trick technique that gave me the most poetic. Like I, when I learned that, I, cause I always thought I had to fill the space and exactly wrong. Yeah. And, and, and you can tell because what happens when you fill the space, people's eyes glaze over and they lose connection. Partly also what I also found and, and I'd love your thoughts on this too, is when you do pause and they, they may have some time to reflect and ask a question or you see the reaction, you're like, ah, going down the right path, or, Oh, Oh, did I, did you not understand? Did I say something wrong? And then you're like, if you just continue to go through, it's just like, you
2: know, well, you're oh. disconnecting from your listener at that point. If yeah. here's you, you transform your, Speech, and I'm putting air quotes around this your speech into a conversation mm. when you let the listener in whether they're participating verbally or non-verbally mm. there there's some settings in which there's not going to be Q&A or there's not going to be them speaking but you can still let them in mentally by creating spaces for them here here's the other big big pitch for why you want that punctuation here's um you know um why uh you know why the um, idea um, is important. um. Mm. You're all those ums in there. All of those non-words, they're they're called non-words or filler words or all kinds of whatever nonsense. What that is, is that's my mouth moving and saying words that I don't yet have in my brain. I think I need to fill the space, so I'm umming through it. When you put punctuation in, and you put a period at the end of a sentence, or a pause even right in the middle of a sentence, now I know my next word. Instead of um, um, umming to the next word, I simply pause, and I look thoughtful instead of stammery. I look like, people are afraid if I'm not talking, they're gonna think I don't know what I'm talking about. Well. Wasn't it Abraham Lincoln that said you can speak up? You can be silent and be thought a fool or speak up and remove all doubt. (laughs) Right. So you keep talking and you're saying nonsense. You sound less sure. If you say, honey, um, I love you versus darling, I love you. Yeah. You hear the difference yeah. um yeah. takes away i by the way i was not professing my love to you jari
1: <laughs> <laughs> we know this is a simulation so this no. a simulation. <laughs> I'm a married woman. You know, what, what, what's, your, what's your husband's name tom tom so tom you're safe no worries Tom's safe. <laughs> and yes. minerva Inverva, everything's cool you know we're connecting over But
2: my point is that that the silence we're afraid of silence And we're afraid that it's going to make us look incompetent or that we don't know what we're talking about. And in fact, silence really makes you look poised. Like if I'm confident enough to stand in front of a group of people, let's just say somebody gives me a really ugly question, a really nasty question, and I fire back fast, I'm going to look defensive. If I stand for just a second, you know, I haven't ever thought of it quite that way. Let me tell you what my thoughts are. Then I look like you didn't scare me. If you hit me with a hot question, I say, "Well, you know, um, uh, you know, um," and I start talking before I really know what I want to say.
1: Definitely look defensive.
2: Kiss of death. Well, it looks either defensive or it looks like I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's the one thing when I when I teach people about media training when we do some media training for folks. A lot of times it's usually during crisis, a crisis communication issue, and always without fail, I get this. It just, I don't know why people just don't understand this, but, and it's been said for decades, like the cover up is always worse than the event. Never, ever, ever try to cover something up. Always try to be as truthful as you possibly can and take it to the next higher level. Always head for the high ground. Like don't get your ego in the way. And, just see this constantly because people they feel this defensiveness, like it's they're attacking them. It's like, no, your company did something wrong. Okay. There's an issue, a challenge. You really have to address it in a very clear, concise, and compelling way that's not defensive, but yet this pause the ponder, to try to get it to that level above as opposed to digging in the weeds. Like, well, no, we really didn't do that. You know, what what you don't understand, you're like, okay, hold on, stop. <laughs> you well, know. I,
2: I, I teach a, a pretty specific way of handling hot questions. Oh, cool. In that way. And one of the things is that there's a difference between a legitimate, angry, frustrated question
1: mm-hmm.
2: versus what I call a question from that guy.
1: <laughs> you know that, yeah oh yeah that,
2: it's not always a guy it's a woman
1: it, it, too. that that person that shall not be named
2: that that guy I would say that guy because you know that one that always says well I just play devil's advocate here yeah well, <sighs> you know, the guy that needs to on <sighs> every idea for sport you know because yeah. he needs to and it's it.
1: and it is typically 99% of the time a guy yeah
2: <laughs> I wasn't going to say that,
1: but no, 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 I can't. I can say that. I'm the tall white guy with the beard. I can say it. That's the (laughs) mansplaining part, everyone. So if you ever want to see a mansplainer guy, that's it.
2: (laughs) So if you get a question, if you get a legit question, like there's been a crisis and, and maybe you screwed up, there was a, there was an error or a tragedy or something like that. What you want to do is you want to connect before you get to the content. You want to emotionally empathize with that person. And this doesn't not in fake therapist speech, like, Oh, I can see what you're saying. You know, not that not that, but in a really genuine authentic way. If they're legit mad, yeah. you're going to want to say, "You know what? If I was in your socks, I'd feel exactly the same way." Yeah. I really get it. I- I'm disappointed too. Here's my an- pause. Pause. Mm-hmm. Let them absorb that genuine authentic empathy. Then say, "Here's my answer to that." Yeah. And by the way, they may be wrong. The person may have, you know, why did you guys release so-and-so, you know, six days before? Maybe you didn't. Maybe they're just, they just heard that it was a rumor. You see it in politics all the time.
1: Oh and yeah. It's horrible. Yeah.
2: Dare you watch the Senate hearings. You know, like, <laughs> oh. exactly. But instead of being defensive about it and saying, no, we didn't. Yes, we did. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. No, we did That's not a fight I want to have. If you can say, you know, if. If I thought that was exactly what it, what had happened, I'd feel exactly as angry as you are. Let me give you the information. Here's what actually happened. So you've joined with, if that's what you're thinking, I can totally get it. Mm-hmm. But you're not validating their point of view. Empathy doesn't mean agreeing. They might be no. stone cold wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and what's interesting about empathy, I was actually talking to my therapist about this because... um A lot of people say they're very empath, they're empath, very empathetic. And the thing with empathy is I think it gets misused a lot. Empathy is for the, for the person in the situation, but also you in the person and the situation. Like there's a whole, like, it's not just the person you're empathizing with. It's the person you in the situation. And what I always think about, and again, I'd love your comment on this is I always think that empathy is sort of not the best way to go. I always go from empathy to compassion because I think compassion allows you to take action. And I think there's a continuum there. And I love how you did like, Oh, well, yeah, that I'd feel the same way about, and then, right. So I'm just curious if, if, if you've seen that, like, cause there's some people that get so empathetic that they can't take action. And I'm just like, that's not going to help the
2: anyone. <laughs> and see, that's not empathy; that's sympathy.
1: Ah, okay. There you go. Okay, cool. And I think
2: that's a that's a little different.
1: Hmm.
2: It's also so if somebody comes to me, you know, and I I speak on fairly controversial topics as well. I'm hmm. an activist when it comes to gun violence prevention. You can imagine I get some opposition oh, about yeah. that issue, oh, yeah. and there are legitimate points of view on mm-hmm. the whole spectrum. I just did a talk like last week, and somebody was saying. Something about second amendment rights and whatever, and that they need, they need self defense weapons and, and all of that. I may or may not agree with that. That's okay. We can disagree, but they gave me a number. They gave, they kind of hit me with an absolute false statistic. It's absolutely wrong. Hmm. And there's a difference between me saying, I absolutely believe that you have the right to feel protected in your home. I want you to feel safe in your home. So I'm empathizing with the emotion, not the facts. I want you to feel safe in your home. That's exactly why I so strongly disagree with you. And here's why. Mm. Most weapons that are for self-defense in a home do not get used against an intruder. They get used accidentally with a toddler shooting his brother or with somebody shooting their teenager coming at, sneaking in through the window at night. That's why I'm concerned about that. So you and I share something, and that we want you to feel safe in your home. I want that for you too. Yeah, that
1: kind of common ground, like the yeah. the the, the I, w- I don't maybe it's the highest common denominator or, or lowest. I it, I don't it's like the using the it's, it's the con- it's some connection. connection. Yeah, okay.
2: Right. And and notice though that it's perfectly okay to disagree with someone. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly okay to say. I absolutely see what you're saying and I can see where you're coming from and lots of people feel that way. Let me tell you why I feel so differently. Or let me tell you what I've learned that changed my mind from that point of view I once held that's like yours. Or let me tell you a story that may add a nuance to what what you're looking at. So it's a way of, if you, in questions and answers, if you get offensive, if you start fighting and you're the speaker, you lose. a 100% of the time, you lose.
1: I like that. I like that.
2: Because you're in the position suppo- of supposed authority if you're the speaker. So if, if I'm fighting with you, I don't look credible. Instead, if I can empathize with a piece of what you've said, correct it if I need to, and also if I can manage you so that you don't take over the whole show, because if you're that guy, you want to take over the whole show. You want to you unseat me mm. from my position of confidence. Exactly. I'm not going to let you do that. And if he wants to go on and on, that's when I'll, I'll interrupt and I'll say, clearly you have really strong views about this. And I, I want to listen to them. I also want to make room for others to have a conversation. So let me put you on hold for a minute. Let me see if there are other comments or questions that I can entertain. And I'm happy to hang out with you afterwards and have this conversation. So then I look like I'm fine with this dude. He doesn't scare me. I mean, unless he came with a gun, that's a different matter.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but that would be a little scary. Yeah.
2: That has happened.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> but, can imagine.
2: You know, there there are ways to manage somebody without fighting with them because you lose 100% of the time.
1: I totally agree with that. I think you definitely have to control the situation in a way where you are being like, yeah, it's 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 yours to lose. If, if you're the speaker, the spokesperson or whatever, it's yours to lose. How you react to that even in a crisis or in some sort of very confrontational um, environment. Yeah. It's up to you. I think you, you definitely lose if you, if you start to bash because you're the thing is you're from, when you're in a place like that, you're not, you're never going to, you're never going to convince someone by beating them over the head, so to speak.
2: And chances are, I'm never going to convince that guy anyway. Anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's some people you just can't reach. Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Just. Well, the technique that I teach for q and I call it lead. You want to lead the QR. So L-E-A-D, you want to lead it. You want to listen, really listen to their question. Yeah. You want to empathize with their point of view. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean agree. That right. means try to understand where they're coming from. Then you want to actually answer the question. Unlike most politicians who just go back to a weird co- talking point. My politicians that I coach don't get to do that. Yeah. You want to really answer the question. And then D, you want to add some more detail that, bolsters your point of view. So you want to listen and empathize, answer listen,
1: it, empathize, answer and, and add detail. Detail. I like that.
2: Right? It keeps you in the lead of the Q&A. It doesn't let somebody else take the show from you.
1: Interesting. That's great. That's actually really good advice. I think a lot of people even in a pitch to like a VC cuz I've been in a lot of pitches of like trying to raise money and boy you get down the rabbit hole quick. And you know sometimes you just like some investors, they just, they take the meeting because they take the meeting. Right. But I've seen it also descend down into a sh- kind of a shoving match, like a verbal shoving match, because, you know, the entrepreneurs like has a little ego bruise because they're like, their little thing is not the best thing in the world. But then this, you know, this investor's got the money, right. He who has the goal has the power almost. And it's just, it's frustrating because you're like, ah, they don't get it. They don't get it. And you're like, well, yeah, maybe it's not for them. And I think that there, attitude is harder.
2: There's a big difference between confidence and ego.
1: Mm, good. Yeah. Nothing
2: wrong with being a confident speaker and being confident in your point of view. But if you're confident in your point of view, then that means that you can listen to opposing points of view and not be threatened by them. If your ego is invested, everything's a threat. Yeah. And you have to defend against everything. Oh,
1: good point. Good point. Well, Betsy, it's just been... It's been a great conversation. I'm so glad we met. I'm so glad I got to do the pitching class for the She Writes community. It's such a wonderful group of people. And uh, yeah, stay safe and stay in touch.
2: I will. I will. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted there are paths crossed and I I look forward to future crossings of them.
1: Me as well. Me as well. Thanks, Betsy, so much for such a, a wonderful interview and your stories and it just it just warmed my heart so as promised here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Betsy creation is only half the story whether you're an author promoting a book or an entrepreneur selling a product how you share that creation with the world is critical and the key to getting people to listen is using story so ask yourself What story am I telling? And of course, this resonates with me (laughs) because, of course, I do storytelling for a living. So this is 100% what you should do. Such awesome advice, Betsy. While some people may come more naturally to public speaking than others, a large part of public speaking is that it's actually a skill you can learn. And like any skill, it requires practice. So you need to practice speaking. I mean, I tell people all the time, one of the reasons I do the podcast is to practice talking to people. Sounds silly because of course I'm so awesome at it, right? (laughs) No, not at all. I have to practice all the time. And so find a way to practice. So ask yourself, how can I practice the skills I need to, to learn? Or how can I practice speaking in public? Use empathy to create connections, especially with people who are asking challenging questions. Listen first. And show empathy are an important way to maintaining control and creating authentic connections. And what we mean by control is not having your emotion get in the way of the discussion. So if someone is challenging your views or you're speaking in public and people are asking you really tough questions, you need to really kind of get in their head, so to speak. But more importantly, start with some empathy. And then go on to compassion so you can take some action towards answering the question. And again, like try not to take it personal. So ask yourself the question when these things come up, like, how can I empathize with this person? What are they really trying to say? And you'd be surprised at how even just listening and repeating the question and trying to understand is just such a good technique to kind of diffuse that situation. So there you have it. Those are some actionable insights and some questions that you should ask yourself. And thanks for listening and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the entrepreneur ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.